0: Good morning. Good morning. I have been on a kind of quest, sometimes quietly, sometimes loudly, for the last, I don't know, twelve to eighteen months or so, uh, which I have jokingly, but not entirely jokingly, referred to with the staff and others as my search for a burning bush. I was waiting for, you know, that obvious thing that God would say, uh, I didn't actually see a burning bush in case anyone's worried, I I had not. Um, But what I meant when I said that, and I've said it quite often to staff over the last several months, was that I'm looking for and have been looking for a sense of purpose and direction that I could articulate clearly to us as a church and say, after everything else that's gone on in the last couple of years, who are we and where are we going? I wanted it to be an answer I could give in the form of a sentence, and that no matter how you phrase the question, the answer would be the same. And I wanted to know what God wanted from us. So uh, I would think about it and pray about it. We had a leadership breakfast back in the fall, and I talked to the elders about it, and we talked about it some and kicked around notions and ideas. You may remember in the fall, we had these little cards that we passed out that said, the Spirit is leading us to fill in the blank. Uh, and I kept all those, and read them every so often and go back and see what you said as kind of a reminder of what God has been saying in your lives. And then I remind the staff quite frequently. uh, Again, you guys don't know because you're not in staff meetings, but quite a lot of our staff meetings end with the words, let me know if you see a burning bush this week. You're dismissed, right? It's been on my mind to find some clear answer for the idea of who are we, and where are we going? We know what our values are, because we say those every week. We're passion-driven, forward-thinking, and spirit-led. But who are we and where are we going was the question I wanted to answer. Why am I obsessed with this set of questions and why does it matter? It matters because a church, in particular, is more than a logo or a brand name. Okay? Uh, this is absolutely true of churches and it's absolutely true of Churches of Christ. Do You know what it takes to be a Church of Christ? Paint. You just go out to the sign and you paint it and then you are, right? That's that's what it requires in the grand scheme of things. I can take you all the way across the country and show you churches that have Church of Christ painted on their sign that are remarkably different from each other. The brand name doesn't tell you everything you want to know. It tells you something. It doesn't tell you everything. Logos don't tell you everything you want to know. Uh, our man Derek, our youth minister, has a background in marketing, and once in a while he and I will, will talk about marketing and logos and branding and things like that. And the thing is, logos and brands are great, but they just don't tell you everything you want to know. I'll give you an example. 2007, you guys adopted this, or somebody did, I don't know. who did. You guys adopted this as your logo back in 2007, 16 years ago. Uh, It still appears out on the minivan, and you can find it on any piece of document the church produced for about a 16-year period, okay? What does this logo tell you? It tells you some good things, okay? Name of the church, central, apparently. What, What is valued by this church? Apparently, a place to call home. There's a house in it, okay? Reflects home. It's a picture of a little stick figure family, so family, home, home, family. Central, okay. Does that communicate something? It absolutely does. It says something and it has some staying power. Does it say everything? Oh no, of course not. That logo, and I, I like it, not complaining about it, doesn't tell you if you're a church of Christ, for example. It just says central. Oddly enough, it doesn't tell you if you're a church. I was laughing about it. Again, good logo, not making fun of anybody but I was laughing about it the other day. Could be Central Assisted Living, a place to call home. Central Daycare, a place to call home. Central Homeowners Association, a place to call home. Right? doesn't actually say, but I mean, you guys got it. It said what you needed it to say, and it worked, and there it is, okay? But at the end, it's a logo. It says something and not other things. In the same way, if you go to the store, and one of the brands says Coca-Cola, and the other one says Coke, you're not confused by the difference that the marketing department put out there. You realize it's the same secret formula. But one guy in marketing said, oh no, Coke's gonna go over really well. And the other guy's like, no, we need to say Cola because that's classic and people are gonna like that. And so that, you, know, you can get them either way, right? Some years ago, I'm guessing 2018 or 19, you guys remodeled the church website. And when you did that, this logo ended up on it. This is the first logo you had when I discovered you back in 2019 when uh, someone sent me an informational packet with your name and information, and I went to your website to stalk you like a good preacher candidate does and wanted to know all about you. And it was a logo that looked kind of like this one. Uh, what does it say? Well, it says some more things. It's got a cross in it, good. It has church, so it's got a thousand percent more church than the other logo did. Not an assisted living. But still, I mean, there's some things it says and things it doesn't. This is the logo we've had on the website since 2018, and I've been slapping it on anything I could find since then. Um, it says some things, it doesn't say others. It's like anything else. My point is, there's no simple picture or visual representation I could give you that says, there it is, that's everything you need to know about the Central Church of Christ. Okay? Even if I said, this is the Central Church of Christ, it still wouldn't tell you everything. I can take you to churches of Christ that are so conservative they fall off the map in one direction, I can take you to churches of Christ that are so progressive they fall off the map in the other direction, and their signs are identical, right? If we want to know who we are, we're going to have to go one layer deeper than that. We are and will remain the central church of Christ. What that means and who we're going to be and how we're going to live that message out requires us to go a little deeper into our own history. For me, the story begins, oddly enough, not even in Ada, Oklahoma, and not even in this century. But for me, to really understand what a Church of Christ strives to be, you've got to go back to Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1801, and it's one of my favorite stories to tell. I've told it here before, I'm going to tell it again. The year was 1801 in Kentucky, and a preacher named Barton W. Stone decided that people needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a Presbyterian minister at a Presbyterian church, cleverly named the Cane Ridge Presbyterian Church. And so he arranged for there to be a great big revival in the woods of Kentucky. And he did something really bold. Barton W. Stone believed that preaching the gospel was more important than any detail that might divide believers in Christ. So Presbyterian church, Presbyterian minister, Invited a Baptist preacher to come join them and preach in the revival, and invited a Methodist preacher to come join them and preach in the revival. So on Friday night, they get up and these guys start preaching in rotation, and it's just nonstop preaching. And no one cares who's who, right? Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist—they're all, they're all up on stage. They just preach and preach and preach. Over the course of a couple of weeks, I'm not kidding, between ten and twenty thousand people. Come to the Cane Ridge Revival. To give you some perspective, in 1801, that is 10% of the entire population of Kentucky showed up in the woods to hear the gospel. And it was amazing because they decided what mattered and what didn't. The problem they had, typical Protestant problem, the meeting started on a Friday night, and then they got to Sunday morning. And it's communion time the issue? Or maybe you don't. 1801, Presbyterians don't offer communion to Methodists. And Methodists don't offer communion to Baptists. And Baptists definitely don't offer communion to Presbyterians. Okay. So it's Sunday morning. And they were all fine preaching the gospel together because that's what mattered to them. But it came time for Communion. I think, tend to be described as this simple memory of Jesus Christ. And they were stuck, and they didn't know what to do. And so, Barton Stone had this crazy idea that is the genesis of the Church of Christ in America. He said, let's just do it anyway. And they did. And Methodists, and Presbyterians, and Baptists, passed the same cup and the same bread to each other and the woods didn't burst into flame and the gospel was shared and they realized the simplicity of the gospel message was more important than anything else that had divided them before. That sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ mattered more than all the other things they had been worried about. It was just a few years later the Cane Ridge Presbyterian Church stopped calling itself a Presbyterian church. They said, we don't even like the name anymore. Got rid of the name, started going by Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ. Some of them just said, Christians. Well, what kind? Christians. What kind? Christians. They stopped giving any other answer. And that's the story of our people. Can you humor me for just a minute? We're going to do an exercise I don't like to ask questions I don't know the answer to, you, but we're gonna give it a shot anyway. Would you all stand for just a minute? That was just to prove that you can't obey when you're told. No, just kidding, that's not what I mean. all right. Here's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna try this. If you grew up your entire childhood in a typical traditional mainstream church of Christ, sit down. Do you see who we are? Okay, you all can sit down too. The Cane Ridge vision lives on. This is not a church of people who all share an identical heritage or background. And it hasn't been. It hasn't been for ages, for decades. This has always been a church that welcomed to this table, or one like it, or a bucket in the foyer, anybody who believed that Jesus was the Christ son of God and wanted to live according to his word. And everything else became secondary. That's the heritage that you share in God's people. This is Cain Ridge. This is a better logo <laughs> than any other we could come up with. This is the vision that Christ had for his people. He said that anywhere his gospel went, this is what would happen. This is Luke chapter 13 in verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be at that table? He says, whoever shows up. Well, which direction are they from? Yes. All the directions. What background are they from? Yes. All the backgrounds. What ethnicity? Yes. What language? Yes. They will come to this table, and they will share in his gospel and be united in them. In the next chapter of Luke, it's an interesting scene because Jesus actually gets invited to a banquet. And he uses that scene to give his message that he was building a church that welcomes all. Okay, So they're actually at a feast, actually at a banquet, Okay, and he says, this is a great time to make my point. 14, 7 and following. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And uh, he who invited you will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, that when your host comes to, to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay. Literally having a feast, a banquet, this is not a metaphor. I mean, he's going to make a metaphor, but there's actually a table, plates and dishes and the whole thing, and he sees people finding their seats, and he says, this is an opportunity to talk about what kind of table I'm sitting. At a feast or a banquet, you're kind of there to show off, right? Put up put out the nice dishes, put out the nice food. You don't invite invite everybody in town over and say, hey, I've got some leftovers from last night. Put out the nice stuff, and you kind of show off a little bit. That's what a feast or a banquet is. Jesus says, that's not what my table's about. My table is not about you claiming your honor among others. My table, and therefore my church, will be a church that honors humility and not pride. If you want to be great at this table, you will find a way to think less of yourself and assume less about yourself. You will seek to be a servant of all rather than to be served. That's what will happen at my table. That's what will make people welcome there. And then he continues. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or the rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. First point was about seating arrangements. Second one is about your own feast. Again, Who do you invite? This paragraph, I understand, makes no sense whatsoever. Don't invite your friends or your relatives or people that like you because they might invite you back. Makes me wonder if he was an introvert and didn't want to go anywhere. No, that's not it. That's not it. What's he trying to say? He said, at my table, he's talking about his kingdom, isn't he? He's talking about his table. He says, at my table, we invite people without any expectation of return. At your table, you invite people based on what you think you can get out of them. He says, at my table, we invite people in hopes that they can give us nothing. And that by inviting them, we serve our God. We hope that they can give us nothing. We invite them with no expectation of return. We find the person least likely to be there and make that person welcome. He says, that's how my table's gonna work. And then he's not done. And he continues with what has become one of my favorite parables. A man once gave a great banquet. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it, please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He doesn't even ask to be excused. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. That my house may be full. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You understand the significance of that parable for who we are today and what it means for his church? Do you understand? It's always difficult in a parable to figure out who you are in the parable, but that's the answer. In this parable, it's a story about a man who gives a feast. And He desires to have a full house. That's his desire. In the story, the man wants one thing, a full house. It's the only thing he ever says he wants. I want it to be full. And so he starts out by by inviting the usual suspects, people who had every reason to say yes, and they find every reason to say no. Can we pause a moment and notice they're not silly reasons. One's got a business problem. Other one's made an investment. One got married, right? They've got real life stuff going on. None of it's unreasonable. None of them say, hey, I just don't like you and don't want to come. Nobody says that. They all have some kind of legitimate reason. And yet, did you notice the text calls them excuses? And so they are excused. And the master of the feast is angry, not sad, oddly enough. He might be sad too but in the text he's angry that these excuses have been made and he sends his servant out again and he says, find me people. What kind of people are left? The people that ought to be here aren't here. Who's left? He says, go down the alleyways, the back alleys where the homeless live, find the cripple, the lame, the people who can't walk here on their own, compel them, go get them, go find them, go bring them in and invite them in. And the servant says, well, okay, yeah, great, did that, it's still not full. He says, then go further. Did you catch the geography there? Start in the alleys and the streets of the city. That wasn't enough people. Now go out in the hedges of the countryside. Walk up and down the farm lanes. Walk up and down with the farmers and the crops in the field and find people that are poor and in need of a meal and have them come in. In fact, again, it says, compel them to come in. Twist their arm, drag them in. That my house may be full. God's will will be done. You understand the point? The people who were invited weren't there. Who was there at the end of the feast? None of those who were invited to taste my banquet. Who are you in this parable? You are not the man throwing the feast. For what it's worth, you're not even the servant who's out inviting people. Christ says his church will be filled of unworthy, unfortunate, unwanted, uninvited guests at his table. And that's who we are. See, don't think I'm the servant and I'm supposed to be here and I'm going to go invite the unworthy people in and then, then that'll be my job. You're here because you're one of the unworthy people. You're here because you don't belong except here because he wants you here. Because of nothing you have done and of no worth you might attain to, but simply because the master of the house wants his house to be full, you are here. And you are welcomed as an unwelcomed guest. And you are loved. That's who we are. And that's what our church must know about itself to know who we're going to be and what we're going to do next. You have to be willing to look around the room and see in us the island of misfit toys. You have to be able to see us as that and say that, like at Cane Ridge, the sharing of the gospel is the unifying factor. This cannot be the weekly meeting of the Self-Important Club. This has to be a place of people who know we have been allowed at a table we do not deserve. So what is our vision? Who are we and where are we going? This is what I got for you. The Central Church of Christ will welcome everyone to Christ's table. And the rest of the sentence is because that's how we got here. The Central Church of Christ will welcome everyone to Christ's table. When you say, who are we and where are we going? I'm going to say the Central Church of Christ will welcome everyone to Christ's table. When we want to know what to do what next, we're going to say, what will help us to welcome everyone to Christ's table? That will be our single passion and our burning desire and everything else about us will be made subject to that will in the Master's house. Would you bow with me in prayer. Our Father, we come to you as uninvited guests, and yet you welcome us. Thank you for your abundant grace that's made it possible for all of us to be here. Do not, in the passage of years, ever let us forget who we are in your sight. Do not allow us to think of ourselves more deserving than others, but let each of us esteem others better than ourselves, and so more perfectly serve you. Help us be a church that opens its doors and welcomes everyone to Christ's table to help them find their place, not for us, but that your house may be full. This we pray in the name of Jesus, your son, founder of the feast, author of salvation, amen.